Hello and welcome to the weekend update. It's Friday the 9th of December. I'm your host Chris Gallagher and this week we are joined by the wonderful, the Berlin-based, it's Callum Gordon. Hello Callum, how are you sir? I'm very good mate, thank you very much for having me on. Great stuff. Uh, we were just chatting before we started recording uh, about the weather because that's one of the, the best things to start about uh, when you're doing a podcast. Uh, it's freezing here, Callum, same in Berlin. It is also freezing, yes. Bastard, bastard. Um, also, we were talking about Celtic. You're looking forward to getting back into it. Uh, Celtic are obviously back next week. Um, weirdly, Rangers are back on Thursday, someone said yesterday. Yeah, three three days earlier than us. Um, which I don't mind. It could it could actually lead to sort of a fairly enjoyable Thursday and really set up the weekend quite nicely. Uh, with a bit of added spice to it. So I think it's Hibs they're playing. Yeah, Hibs yeah. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, first game under a, a new manager for them. I mean, it would be absolutely disastrous if they were to drop points, surely. Um, but I'm you know, really looking forward to, to having the football back in a bit of normality. Sort of, as we were talking about, winters here incredibly grim, same in Glasgow, but... I always look look forward to the sort of Celtic games as the main thing that sort of gets you through your week, the thing that you look forward to. And as much as it's been nice watching about the World Cup and so on over the past few weeks, it's it's not the same. It's not the same level of excitement or engagement um, that you get from it. So, no, I can't wait to have it back. Yeah, um, see, in regards to the what I've enjoyed with the World Cup, and we'll touch on the World Cup a little bit later on, but what I've enjoyed with the World Cup is watching football without any sort of uh, kind of... Like there's no skin in the game, so it's kind of just whatever happens. Well, with the exception of England, but <laughs> there's no sort of, you know, I enjoyed the kind of uh, scheduling where where my day was set around the idea of like ten, you know, two or ten, three, you know, seven or whatever. Um, I kind of enjoyed that, but it does get to the point where you're like that level of without a sort of vested interest, you do kind of. I find myself drifting away a little bit, even if it is an exciting game. What about yourself? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you quite I've quite often catch myself scrolling through Twitter, or whatever. When when I've got a game on, it's sort of just like an ambient background, yeah, sort of thing you have on. Um, to be fair, being able to work from home um, still as a hangover from COVID is sort of lined up pretty perfectly with having World Cup games on throughout the day. Um, so you can keep checking your emails, but have Japan, Germany or whatever on in the background. That's been quite good, to be fair. Um, and Japan has been the sort of the one team that I've managed to sort of muster some sort of real um, enthusiasm for. Um, I really enjoyed their, their run. But no, you're right in terms of most games, there's there's very little sort of interest beyond watching, you know, the spectacle of watching a football game. Um you know, especially as soon as all the Celtic players went out, there was there was nothing really. Um, all we're waiting on is England getting put out now, and after that, I don't really care about what else happens in the World Cup. Yeah. That's it. I can relax and enjoy the last few games, but that's the it's the final one that needs ticked off the list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, Germany went out in the groups. Uh, how has that kind of been? Kind of how's that kind of went down in Germany? Uh, it's been weird because public interest and. In the World Cup in general, because of the the human rights abuses and so on, that um, has led to sort of you know a real lack of public interest in, in the World Cup in general. Um, I remember seeing that viewing figures were down by about fifty percent. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, and their and their final game in the in the group stage got less viewers than um, the women's Euros final. 
um, just a few months back. So it, those that those that are actually into the national team, those you know, have actually you know been fairly upset about it, and a lot of people questioning whether Flick's still the man for the job and so on. But um, overall, it's been qu- quite weirdly subdued. Just the World Cup in general here, usually you know, pubs and bars and everything will be shown it. You know, um, partly because it's in the summer and you can stop by and get a beer and sit outside. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd walk down streets and never know the World Cup was on uh, right now, which is which is odd. Um, part of that, I guess, is the the human rights aspect of it, which has sort of been a, a very big deal in Germany more so than than other countries. Um, but also, it's just that it's that time of year and it's a weird time to be watching a World Cup, I guess. Yeah, what what I always find interesting is like when a when a country like Germany goes out of the World Cup early, or you know when Spain kind of had that run in the nineties where they just weren't they they had good players but they didn't really have a sort of identity or anything, or France when they didn't qualify for USA ninety four. These countries kind of sit down and go, oh, okay, we're we're doing something wrong, so let's try and figure out what we're doing wrong and uh, try and fix it. Scotland haven't qualified for a World Cup since nineteen ninety eight, and. Y- it's like, ah, oh, well, if we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, I'm sure it'll be fine. We've had no sort of cohesive plan. Obviously, there was the the big plan that came out a couple of years ago with the uh, was it Henry McLeish and stuff. But like, it's quite just depressing how far off. Like, because this is something I've been kind of meaning to bring up. Like, if Scotland were at this, what let's say Scotland had qualified, we would be getting battered about left, right, and centre. The the, the different, I think. You know, and I'd like to know your thoughts. Like the difference in quality, even with some of the, you know, the poorer teams. Uh, I did the, did the finger thing look like a wank, but you know, like in terms of like even the poorer teams, they still just look technically better. And well, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I'm not sure. The uh, part of me would be interested to see how much of it is purely down to Steve Clark being a fairly negative football manager, because there's plenty of you know. Premier League players or, or whatever in that Scotland team or players that play at a fairly decent level. Um, I think it's probably one of the most talented crop of players we've had in several years. You do have some genuine, you know, genuinely world class players in their in their position. Shame that it's pretty much all in the same position. Um, yeah. But even the likes of of Aaron Hickey as well coming through. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of you know bright elements. I think in that squad. If you could find somebody to sort of knit it together into, I think what Scotland's issue is, is they don't necessarily play to their strength. Strengths, it's not, you know, we don't have a big physical team. Um, we have a lot of, you know, small technical players. Billy Gilmore's a really good example as well. Um, and, you know, the identity that Steve Clark seems to sort of impose in his teams just doesn't feel like a great fit. Um I'd, I'd be interested to see if you know they brought in somebody else uh, who's a little bit more progressive in the style of play that he wants to, you know, see from his side to actually see what this Scotland team could do. Because I, I, I get your I get your general point that you know you look at some of these smaller teams at the World Cup and they're not knocking the ball about really really well, and you think why can't we do that? But I don't think it's necessarily a case of them not having the ability. But I think Scotland. Are, you know, as much as Steve Clark has got plenty of results and, you know, getting to the Euros was a great achievement. I don't particularly enjoy them, you know, watching them. Um, and I don't particularly... When we look at that Scotland team, I think they have a defensive plan and set up and that's quite clear. But 
any time watching Scotland in the past couple of years, I've no idea how they intend to actually score a goal consistently. You know, there's not any sort of clear patterns of play or, or anything. It's Things will come from a set piece or a penalty or, or a ricochet or or something like that. But there's, you know, very, you know, very few clear elements in terms of going forward that you can point to and say that's that's Scotland's identity when they actually have the ball and need to go try and attack a game. So I think a huge part of it is the manager. Um I actually think this crop of players is, you know, is pretty pretty good or as good as we can sort of expect from from a Scottish national team. Um, but I, I think if you had somebody else in there, it could be an entirely different story. Uh, great points. Um, just, I just wanted, I've got this, this is at the bottom of the news rundown, but I'll bring it up now so we can almost get it out of the way. Uh, so Ryan Porteous has been potentially linked. Um, and again, it's tenuous links. The, the links might not even exist, right? But it just as a kind of thought experiment of, of like Ryan Porteous as a kind of, I mean, he's... They describe him as like a player with a lot of potential and all that. He's 24. You know, he's he's not, you know, 1920. Um, I think someone mentioned it on BBC Radio Scotland or something about, you know, there being a link with Rangers. Might have been Jim Duffy, I think. Um, is he the type of player that, for me personally, when I seen Rangers linked with Ryan Portis, I thought, delighted, delightful. If that's the level of player they're going for, great. What's your thoughts? Um, aye, fairly similar. Um, like, put it this way: if we bring him in, it, it won't be the end of the world. But he's certainly not a player that I'd be desperate to have. Uh, and equally, if he if he went to them, I'd be you know I don't think he's a terrible footballer. Um, I think he has his moments and can be good in games. I think his yeah. most recent Scotland performance was a good example. Um, and against Ukraine, but you know he doesn't improve that. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't improve our starting eleven. It doesn't improve Rangers' starting eleven. So, I mean, whoever gets them, fine. I'm not, I'm not particularly bothered either way. I think an element of it might be for us is the you know the UEFA squad quota of home trained players. Um, you know, when we were going into the Champions League in the summer and looking at it, we were pretty limited in terms of you know the amount of homegrown players or club trained players we could call on. Um, and if, you know, the likes of James McCarthy was to leave, for example, and that would be one or Scott Bain, you're then scrambling around trying to find a Scottish player good enough that means that you don't need to then sort of uh, enter European competition with you know, a reduced squad size. So it's maybe something like that. And if it is, then, you know, fine. It's not the end of the world. But I can't see, you know, like you said, he's 24 now. He was always a player with decent potential. And you thought if he ironed the sort of kinks out of his game, Sorted out his temperament a wee bit, he could kick on to the next level. But you know, been saying that for two, three, four years now. Yeah. Um, I still see him making the same mistakes, and he would. His temperament certainly is the main thing that would would really worry me. I think he gets caught up in stuff too much, um, and he, I think he's a bit of a liability at times with some of his some of his tackling. I think he can be really rash. So. You know, if we do end up buying him as a fourth choice defender for next to nothing, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's not particularly one I'd be enthused by. Yeah, I think I completely agree. I think you know, I was a bit maybe harsh in that wee intro, but like, I think he's, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good player at this level. I don't think he's anywhere near the quality Celtic what um, deserve or need. Um, I think Rangers bringing him in 
kind of shown maybe what they are looking at in regards to budget and stuff like that. He's free, he's Scottish and stuff. I mean, look at what happened with John Suter. So, yeah, I, I just I saw someone saying he's better than Stephen Welsh, which I thought was really, really harsh. Stephen Welsh is a, you know, championship winning defender. Um, so, yeah, so he's not better than Stephen Welsh. Um, I've got an opening question for you, Callum. Um, how do you think Celtic should bed in new signings and any other potential new signings between now and the end of the season. This is kind of the, this is the big question. So obviously we've got um, Kobayashi, we've got Alistair Johnson, um, you know, there, there may be more on the way. We've got players coming back from the World Cup uh, and, and such. What's what's your feeling? What's your thoughts on bedding them in? Is it a case of as you were uh, from January onwards or do you think there will be a bedding in period that potentially these players might play more games than we think? Uh, I think it very much depends on depends on the position. Uh, Kobe Ashi, I think we'll probably see fairly limited game time from him purely because Ange doesn't really like changing his centre back partnership yeah. too much. That's understandable, and he's you know coming off the back of a long season in Japan, and if he needs that adjustment period, you know that's that's absolutely fine. He's definitely one for sort of next season, um, more so than the here and now. Uh, I think we'll probably have to chuck Johnson in fairly fairly quickly um, if it looks like Juranovic will be will be away um, I did find it really refreshing when Ange came in last season and you know he would just chuck players in and tell them to get on with it um, because for so long you know Celtic would sign players and you wouldn't see them for six months um, a year and remember, so, remember Sorrow Sorrow and Klamala took like a year um, but at least then we had the sort of hope that they might not be shy and you know, we had a year of hope from that <laughs> instead of it being dispelled within the first 20 minutes. Oh, fucking hell. Um, so, no, I, I did enjoy that last season, but I think I don't think it's ideal. Uh, I think Bernabé is a, a good example. Um, and just sort of really taking his time with him. And you saw when he came in, he was quite raw and a little bit rash in, some, in his positioning. Um, and you, you've seen him sort of definitely develop uh, in that regard in recent months. So, no, I think we'll be largely operating um, with the same core of players from, you know, the first half of the season. Um, but I would like to see one player that could come in uh, and really push for a, a starting place, maybe probably in the, in the midfield. I think that's the one area that you look at and think that's that's the next part that needs strengthened soon. You know, the goal, goalkeeper is probably another that can wait until summer, but you look at that midfield um, and you pick up a couple of in, injuries and I think the drop-off in, in quality and intensity is, is is quite stark after you get past your first you're starting three, basically. Uh, Celtic and Wolfsburg uh, have shown an interest in signing 25-year-old Finnish Varos midfielder Isa uh, Ladenwi, um, who would be available for around three and a half million quid after impressing with Tunisia at the World Cup finals. Is this a profile of a player that, 25-year-old, uh, played for Finnish Varos, who, you know, big club in Hungary, um, played European football, uh, played at the World Cup and impressed? Is he a guy that you're looking at thinking, ticks all the boxes or... You know, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I've not seen much of him. I, I watched that first Denmark Tunisia game in the, in the World Cup, and um, I thought as a team they were quite good and quite well organised. Um, but obviously, wasn't looking out for him specifically. 
um, you know, when I saw that we were linked with him this morning, I had to be look at the sort of typical YouTube compilation, which makes every player look fantastic. You know, Abelgard was another one who, you know, looked like a really combative sort of tough tackling midfielder who could also play a bit and we've not really seen much from him at all. So I get that these things could be can be quite misleading. Um but he looks kind of like what we need. He kind of is in that Vinicius Souza mode that we chased so much last summer and that, you know, he can break up play, but he also looks like he's, you know, technically good enough and isn't just there as a, you know, to spoil things, but can contribute, you know, going forward as well. I think that is clearly the the sort of missing piece or the the next part of the, the evolution of this team in that midfield is is adding a bit of steel and strength, um, but without sacrificing, you know, the the technical ball playing qualities that Ange wants from from a midfielder. Um, and I think if we can get that in, it can you know really allow us to kick on to to the next level because we do look a little bit lightweight in there at times. Um, and equally, if you do bring in a, a tough tackler who can't do anything else, you do the midfield doesn't quite function well. So it's a very specific pro- profile of player and they're hard to find because, you know, everybody wants that kind of midfielder at the, at the base of their three. Um, but yeah, if it's if it's one that we can get over the line and the, the, the fee doesn't seem, you know, too extortionate at all, um, then I'd, I'd be quite happy to see us bring... Bring him in. Yeah, we've obviously been linked with a, a lot of players, and we're going to touch on a couple. Um, but are you worried about the fact that maybe that squad is getting a little bit bloated? Because I know, and I know we're, it's only we're only in December, so there's a whole month of January where, where stuff can be done. But you know, are you worried that you, you don't want too big a squad where you really have to? I'm sure the management team don't want to be working with you know 32 players as opposed to you know 26. Um, is that a worry for you? Um, well, it wasn't until you mentioned it. But it is. Um, <laughs> we but we've got we've got a lot of players who you know I talk about that drop off in midfield. And I think the midfield is probably the one that's the the most bloated uh, area of the squad. Uh, there's a lot of players in there who are much of a muchness for me. You know, McCarthy, Abogard, Idaguchi. Um, you know, some of them we've not seen enough to really, you know, have you know properly judge them. But from, from what we have seen, um, there's no sort of clamour to have them in the team. Um, so yeah, the it, it would be great if we can, you know, move a couple of them out, um, free up some space for you know players who can come in and, and genuinely challenge for a for a starting space because you know. Aside from Moy and Turnbull, there's not many midfield options that you look to on our bench and think they can they can really do a job here. Um, and even with those two, you know, if everyone's fit, they you know I don't think there's any chance they're starting in most games. Um, so yeah, that's the real area that you know I think we could trim down on and really improve the quality. But it's difficult, you know, when players have long contracts and big wages. James McCarthy's a clear example of that, you know trying to shift them on to somewhere else it, it can be it can be very difficult and you do sometimes need to be patient but to be fair I think the club have been a bit better at it and you know ever since Ange came in you know being a bit more proactive of getting players out the door or even if it's on a loan move um, so if we can if we can do that 
um, maybe shift a couple on. I know, I know Edie Gucci is probably one we'll come on to, to talk about. Um, then, it, then it frees up some wages, it frees up some space because, yeah, you don't want you know a bloated squad. It's, it's not ideal for anyone. Yeah, um, the kind of breaking, I think it was yesterday, it was kind of breaking. Several J-League clubs are monitoring uh, Edie Gucci's situation with Celtic and could make a move in January for the 26-year-old midfielder who has made just one start in 12 months since his transfer from Gamba Osaka. Um, see if you take away his time here and, you know, you transport him back to Japan, he does, he has a profile you look at and you think, okay, he's he's 26 year old, he's he's had an experience in Europe that, okay, didn't go his way when he was at Leeds, but he kind of, he knows that he's, he's willing to take that gamble. Um, he really ticks every box, it just really hasn't worked out. Why do you think it hasn't worked out? I've been, I've been trying to figure this out over the last couple of days of why potentially it hasn't worked out. Is it just the injury, do you think, or is he just not up to it? I mean, I've not. None of us have really seen enough to, and we kind of basically need to trust Angie's judgment. But I think the injury, you know, incredibly unlucky with you know two fairly bad injuries. I think you know we got one in pre-season, as well as some sort of tre- you know freak training ground accident, and at both points there was sort of a space in that mid midfield, or at least you know in that rotation for him to sort of, that he could have gone and staked his claim. And the the timing of the, the two injuries was just, you know, incredibly unlucky. And I, I feel like the two times it happened, you know, other players came in and, and sort of cemented their, cemented their status as, if not a, you know, immediate starter. Um, you know, a player that Ange will call her off the bench. And I think, you know, the two times he's got bad injuries, you know, you've had Matt O'Reilly come in and then Aaron Moy, you know, in the summer. Um We've both done, you know, well, Matt O'Reilly's obviously done done incredibly well. Um, Aaron Moy, you know, more than competent, especially domestically. Um, and there's just not the minutes for him. It's, you know, it's really unfortunate. I don't think he's a bad player from what we've seen. Uh, and I thought the profile of a sort of energetic, tough tackling midfielder who could play as both a six and eight would be would be something that could really complement that midfield. But, you know, sometimes that's just football, you know, it doesn't work out that you miss your opportunity, sort of a, a sliding doors moment. Um, and then, you know, once you are then in the rhythm of a of a season, it's it's hard to sort of fight your way in. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate for the guy, and I feel bad for him. But I can't see him. You know, I can't see him having a career at Celtic. It's it's just unfortunately not worked out. But you know, all the best. I think, um, Jesus, all the best. Uh, <laughs> you've got, you've got him on the first train back to Osaka. Um, see, I, I, what I do find a little bit refreshing in some way is, you know, this is an Ange Postacoglu signing. So Ange wanted, um, wanted him to come in. He brought him in and it hasn't worked out. There are managers we've had in the past who I think would wouldn't have looked at this and thought, right, okay, this is a situation that we need to clear out. You know, they would have been like, ah, don't you worry, he'll he'll come good. He's he's one he's one of my boys. He'll come good. Do you find that kind of quite? I mean, it's very kind of in terms of you know being a, a footballer at a club. There is that swinging axe over you if you're not performing. But that's kind of what we need, and it's what we've needed for a while. Where he brings someone in, it's not worked out. We'll move them on. There's no sort of sentiment sentimentality around it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the one thing when Ange came in that a lot of people said about him is that he's he's ruthless um, and he doesn't get too close to players, so he can, he can be ruthless about them. And that includes, you know, a guy who he's brought from the other side of the world and it, and it simply hasn't worked out. Um, but it is good. That, and like I said, you know, we have been a little bit better at moving players on and, you know, cutting our losses, you know, earlier um, instead of waiting and seeing that, you know, if we can squeeze a couple of extra million out of our club or, you know, recoup some of our losses. Sometimes it is better to just move move quickly. Um so yeah, no, it's um it's refreshing to have a manager who can be self critical and self reflective. You know, Celtic haven't always been blessed with managers with those sort of capabilities. No. Um and you know, ultimately for what we spent on him, it was a punt and if it had worked out great. And I but I think from, you know, the three that we brought in um last January um, from Japan, you know, if you were to say that the, the other two have pretty much established themselves as first team starters and they, one of them wouldn't get a look in, that would have been fine. You know, that's a, still a decent hit rate. And for, for your investment, you know, for, for the few million, million that we spent on bringing those three guys in, um, you know, it's, be, it's been more than worth it. So sometimes that's football and, you know, that's absolutely fine. Um, it is good that we are looking to, to move them out quickly because there's no point in having like we said a bloated squad and a player who isn't going to get much of a look in uh i'm giving you all the hard ones callum i'll be honest we're coming <laughs> we're coming back next week obviously and we'll we'll do build up next week to to the game at, at pataudry and stuff um but abel gore abel card uh the, the danish uh midfielder that we brought in uh and said that you know he was going to be a big part of you know the second half of the season um you know Moy has, Eden Moy has performed really well at the World Cup. You know, you mentioned, you know, he's very competent and I, I think that's a good way to put putting it. I think he's he's played he's played well when, when we've needed to count on him. Cal McGregor's hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be ready thereabouts for the first couple of games before obviously the, the big game in the second and stuff. Do you think Apple Gore is gonna actually play or do you think Ange is just doing the sort of lip service to keep everyone kind of okay because you know he's a guy that we brought in again the profile he looks international you know the club he was at and and, and performs in terms of the level they played at and stuff and you know you look at this guy and you think yeah this is the guy this is maybe the answer to Callum McGregor being out for a while it's just not worked out what's your thoughts think he's going to take a have a chance coming into the second half of the season um, I, I struggle to see it to be honest, particularly because the way we play domestically is, you know, very rarely do we actually require his sort of profile of player. The strange thing is that you know we brought him in. You would think for the for the Champions League games where you need to be a little bit more, you know, defensive, you know, defensively solid, especially in that midfield, and it would perhaps free up Callum McGregor to move forward, but. Didn't look like he was fit initially. You know, I know he came on in Leipzig um, and looked like a, an odd player, very, you yeah. know, <laughs> a bit Bambi on ice, a bit. There was a few, there was a few elements that were quite good. Um, you know, loved firing into a tackle and using his body and his physicality. Um, but there's there's not been there's not been anything that he's shown in a Celtic jersey that you can point to and think, yes, there's something we can we can really work there, work with there. Um, you know, 
in terms of how he is with the with the ball at his feet, he, he looks okay. But like I said earlier, you need to be you know really technically competent you know to play in that midfield, especially at the base of it, because our centre backs can't build the game particularly well. So yeah. that six really needs to do a lot of the the playmaking, and you know as much as he he doesn't look terrible when you know with the ball at his feet, he. You know, you don't look at him and think that's the guy who'll keep your midfield ticking over. It's night and day with Callum McGregor. Um, so I'd be very surprised if he manages to force his way into that into that side. I think Andrew's probably been a little bit diplomatic. Um, it would be great to see it. Would you know solve a whole lot of problems if he could come in and you know really stake a claim because um, that is the sort of area of the park that you know we could we could really do with upgrading on um, as much as I love Cal McGregor in there you know he, he's you know just as good as a, as an eight I think um, and I think that's sort of looking to Europe next next season that's the sort of area of the park that you would hope that we can really upgrade on and um, you know bring in a player who can be a real game changer in there um, but from what I've seen of Abelgard so far he, I don't think that's him um, see what he says to me this is what he says to me if he was to start, which he wouldn't, he says red card at Ibrox all day long, just with how he fucking rattles into tackles. Because you're right, I think he, he loves he loves going in. There was a couple in Leipzig where kind of he nicked it. It was like a, a, a kind of tackle from behind, but not an actual physical tackle from behind. It's just nicking the ball out. From an inter- interception point of view, that's the main thing that I've looked at him. And again, it's really, really limited minutes. Um, but it, red card at Ibrox. That that's what that's what this guy says to me. Get, don't even I don't want him near the squad for the second. You say that like it's a bad thing, but there's different shades of red card that Ibrox. You know, if it's the 89th minute and we're three goals up, you know, red card that Ibrox sounds great. It does. It purely depends on the context, but I do get what you mean. Right, that's a that's a very good point actually. Yeah, um, and then it'll get disallowed on VAR, so uh, it'll be it'll be per- perfect. Um, Alistair Johnson on Instagram, and I want to take this up just because it's quite funny. Um, it's been deleted now. But when Yama put up a... What was the... Let me just quickly see, because uh, someone sent it to me yesterday. Uh, yeah. See you in paradise or something. Yeah, so Alistair Johnson uh, put on Instagram, so what I'm being told, this isn't paradise, blah, blah, blah. Van Yama says, paradise is where you will be playing um, with the wee kind of uh, four-leaf clover. And Alistair Johnson replied, where we will be playing eyes now. Obviously just a bit of fun. Obviously, but uh, no, nah, it's just you know, Wanyama's past, eh? He could, he, he, he couldn't do, he couldn't do. He's going to be a contract. Um, do you think it's any coincidence that Peter Lovell's back in the building? He's been linked with Brian Porteous and an aging Celtic, former Celtic star Victor Wanyama. Oh <laughs> He's shit! Back. He's back with a bang. Oh Jesus Christ! I never even thought about that. Um, I, I mean. God love Victor Wanyama has, you know, has been part of some fantastic Celtic teams ten years ago. It, nothing's going to come from this, right? Yeah, you don't move to the MLS at thirty-one unless you know you're you're a bit done. Um, you know, especially you know the jump from there down from from Spurs. You know, you would think there's usually you know a bit of a middle ground that he could have gone to another you know, Premier League club for a, for a few seasons, you know, earned good money, still played at a good level. 
Um, the fact that he went to the MLS, you know, kind of suggested to me that, you know, I know he's had a lot of problems with his knees and injuries and, and so on. Um, and so much of the, the Victor Wanyama that we knew, knew and loved as a footballer was about his ability to, you know, cover that, you know, vast spaces in the park and plug gaps in midfield and be really sort of, you know, aggressive. Um, you know, you obviously could play it, play as well, but, you know, that was, that was really sort of, the reason why he AEM does move down down to England, if he can't do that, which you know I'm not thinking, I don't think he, he really can, and from what I've read, he's not exactly been a a standout in the MLS. Then I don't think you know it's not something that I'd, I'd want. You know, I, very, I don't like his going back to former players no. generally, um, you know, unless it's Musa Dembele or whatever. <laughs> but um, you know, a Victor, a 31 year old aging Victor Wanyama, that it would um, it would be really concerning if. That if there was anything to that, because you sort of, I know you joke about Peter Lawwell coming back into the building, but um, he's not the kind of profile of, of player we should we should be looking at really. Um, obviously Dembele, there's been a lot of talk about you know him going for a, a smaller fee fee to I think Galatasaray, even a batch of a couple of Turkish clubs, and um, people have thrown out the idea of Celtic potentially signing him. Are, are you kind of surprised by how his um, his career's kind of panned out? Uh, it's, it's very odd, especially, you know, I think last year, calendar year in, in France, he even outscored Mbappe. You know, it's not like he's gone on a terrible run of form. Um, you know, and he would just been linked with the likes of Juventus and so on and didn't really get his move in the, in the summer. Um, I'm, I'm surprised. I don't think he has, you know, I don't think he's going to end up at. Didn't think he was going to end up at a club that's you know top top elite level. But the the tier below that, um, I think he can more than do, do a job for a host of European clubs. And you know, talking about graveyards for football careers, you know, seeing people move to Turkey also, you know, generally one of those moves that you go go for when you have very few options yeah. left. And and that's that's strange because it's not like he's. You know, he's not like he's past it. He should be, you know, coming into the primary of his career. Um, obviously, the money's great in Turkey, you know, nice lifestyle and so on. But you would think, you know, a fit and fire Mr. Dembele could, you know, really do some damage on, on, on the European stage for a decent you know, decent level of, of team. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised if there was any way to, to potentially throw money at him and, and bring him back. I'd love to because, you know, I think he... You know, talk about game changer players that could really sort of you know, bring one 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 player in and totally transform your ability to perform well in Europe. You know, he's one you look at, and he can he can do basically everything. And you know, one of the best best strikers that I've seen in you know my lifetime supporting Celtic. You know, not quite up there, but you know the the tier below that was that he was definitely you know definitely in there comfortably um so yeah it's it's strange i, I don't get why he would be going to turkey unless he needs a new barnet <laughs> it's the teeth as well isn't it um what do you think he would fit into a bit of fantasy booking do you think he'd fit into Ange's style and this team Ange seems to Ange seems to quite like a big aggressive number nine i think you know in, in, the, in the South Korean boy Cho as well that we were linked with, he seems to sort of view that profile of player 
um, is something that might might be what can take us to the the next level. Um, I know Kyogo's obviously been great for us, but his game is is limited in that he, he does a few things really, really well, um, but he's not one to hold up, you know, the ball or to really drop that deep and, and link play or rough up defenders or anything. You know, he relies on his the quality of his movement and his finishing. Yeah. Um and I think in 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 Jackamacus that's what you know we thought we were maybe going to be getting a sort of Musa type player, but his touch and his link up play around the box isn't as it's you know isn't good enough. Full stop. You know he's a great penalty box finisher, um, and has you know served us you know really really well so far. Um, I think Musa just has such a such a rounded game. Um, I think Ange would be delighted to work with a with a player of that quality, and you know I'm sure he could have him pressing and running about like a madman in no time at all. Oh, you've got you you've got me you've got me going here, Cal. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Cho. Um, South Korean striker Cho, the 24-year-old currently with uh, Jibuk Hyundai Motors, responded to a question about possible interest from Celtic by saying he knows nothing of any links with European clubs, but it's always been his dream to face world-class players uh, like Ryan Porteous, he says. Um, <laughs> his, uh, his quotes were... I was trying to think of another Scottish player, and I just couldn't. Um, his quotes were, I haven't heard anything um, about European clubs. However, as a player, I naturally have a dream to go on the world stage and face world-class players. Entering the European stage has been a dream since I was young. I want to go any place where I can improve my skills and grow. His father uh, discussed the transfer. The advice that I've gi- I have given my son is when he signs for a team abroad, go to a club that can play the way he likes rather than choosing a club because they're a big name. He needs a club that will help him adapt and settle down to a new lifestyle on and off the pitch. I know his agent is in the process of finalising negotiations regarding his... Tra- Oof. His agent's in the process of finalising negotiations. He will certainly go to Europe. It's interesting. I quite like that idea that you know Celtic can be the kind of a destination club where you come, you you know you hone your craft. We'll give you this platform, uh, and then obviously naturally you maybe want to go and play in a better league. I mean, we're not talking about the club; we're talking about the league. Um, this guy and certainly his father advising him seem to have his kind of head screwed on. Yeah, I mean, you know. That's you know after just talking about Mr. Dembele, that was what we always liked about him was how how savvy he was in, in building his career. Obviously, it's worked out brilliantly now that he's going to Turkey. But, <laughs> um, you you do like those you know those are is what we want to hear. But you know there's a lot of value in going to you know not quite a, a top club um, or, or one of the top leagues, but you know establishing yourself you know somewhere where you know that you'll get game time and you'll get that you know time to hone your craft a little bit. Um I think we can be a, a great stepping stone for you know for, for players, particularly coming in from from Asia now that we have that sort of established pattern of, of buying players from Japan and, and helping them settle in and you know um I think we can very much point to that as a, a sales pitch for players and say look you can you we can bring you over to Europe, you can showcase your talents. Um, you know, we've got these guys who've settled in, you know, very well. And then in a few years, we can look to move you on for, for profit. That would be, um, I think it could be a, a really good, you know, <clears throat> a really good you know, potential area for us to continually grow as a club. You know, you look at the likes of um, Red Bull Salzburg and, you know, they continually bring in players in twos and threes from, from different African nations. Um, so if you can find a market that's a little bit untapped and sort of build yourself as a as a club, you know, that can provide that route into Europe and then moving on to the top teams, um, you know, 
players will look at that and find it find it an attractive option. And I can't really think of a single club in Europe that has consistently brought in players from from Asia and, and given them a platform. So it's definitely you know there's definitely potential there, and I, I would love to see us you know bring him in and continue to do it um, even after even after Ange goes because you know as we've seen there's a lot of quality um, in those leagues and you know it's a lot of untapped potential um, See if if we were to bring in Chow do you think it would be one in one out with him and Gigi or do you think he would you know Ange would try and keep Gigi and have those three fighting out um, I think Gigi would, you know, would eventually go. Um, I don't know if it would be in January, but I think, you know, if we've had three, one of them's definitely going in in the summer. Um, there's just simply not with the way we play and only playing with one striker up to, up top. There's there's not the game time uh, to go around. Um, and Gigi it would seem like the the most obvious candidate to then to to be moved on. Yeah. Um, but I I think you know the. The only concern if you bring in Cho and move move Gigi on in, in January is you know it can take players you know time to settle. Not everyone can hit the ground running like Kyogo did when he when he came in, um, and then that would be a worry because you know Jackamakis for for all his flaws he, he guarantees you goals. You know his return rate is is, is excellent, um, and in the you know in a title running you kind of want known known quantities so yeah. I would be more than happy to have the, the three and then you know in the summer look to move one on um, and have Cho and another fighting out for that starting berth Yeah absolutely um, great points Cam I completely agree with you as well I think the, the point you made there about you know needing a, a guaranteed no, a known quantity I think people are you know this idea that Anne just kind of promoting with regarding an agile kind of transfer budget that's all well and good and I'm all for that, but you need to know when to pull, I, and I trust that he will, but you need to know when to pull the triggers at the right time, because if we did get rid of Jackamacus, or if an offer comes in for Jackamacus that's you know suits us and suits him, you don't necessarily always have to take it at that specific time, and and I think that's also something to do with, you know, it's about the, t- the, the timing, as we always say. Uh, there's been lots of Martin O'Neill chat, uh, obviously he's promoting his new book, um, Lots of love on the timeline for him. What's your kind of thoughts on Martin O'Neill? Is he one of your kind of top guys or before your time or what's your thoughts? No, I mean, Martin O'Neill was sort of, I think I got my first season ticket when I was like five or six years old. So it was very much, you know, um, after just after Martin O'Neill's first season was when I regularly started going to games. And, you know, at that age, I'm not quite old enough to appreciate it, but that was, you know, it was a Martin O'Neill team that I grew up, you know, absolutely loving. Yeah. Incredible Seville run and so on. But, you know, now you, you really sort of look back and I can't remember how many, I think it's 16 of the last 20 titles or 22, I can't remember, um, have been won by Celtic and that he brought in that sea change, you know, um, grown up with Celtic, you know, over the past 15, 15 plus years. Um you know, some incredible times, some incredible memories, and you look back and think none of that would have been possible if he didn't sort of come in and, and really change the tide. Um, so, no, I always have, you know, incredible respect for him and, and you know, hold him in a real high regard. Um, I don't care what, you know, statistics say or win rates say or, or you know, number of trophies one say. He's definitely, you know, up there, but if you don't, just below Jock Steen in, in my eyes. 
Um, I know there's other managers who have you know, better records, but in terms of what he did for the club and completely changed its changed its mentality more than it, more than anything, uh, and sort of paved the way for so much success that we've had since. Um, no, he, he, he was absolutely incredible, and he's always he's always been good value on, on his media appearances as well. He's still you know very sharp, very you know that that sort of dry sense of humour as well. Um, so. I've not I've not sat down and watched any of the sort of longer interviews that he's done yet. I might stick the open goal one on over the weekend, but I've I've seen the clips and it's always just nice, you know, seeing Martin O'Neill. You know, it's uh, brings back a lot of good memories. Yeah, for me, uh, it's I think obviously Jockstein is Celtic's greatest ever manager, um, and I, I can't see that really changing. And Martin O'Neill is just below that. Um, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think maybe people under underplay what he did. Um, to this football club and how he completely brought in this aggressive winning mentality uh, and obviously he brought in the players to complement that. Ange Postacoglu's done a great job since he's came in. I, I, I you know, I revere him very highly. Brendan Rodgers as well, but no one's done to this football club what Martin O'Neill done when he came in. Taking it from, I mean, uh, I got my first season ticket in like the what, 95, 96 or something? And um, just, it was the dull dr- I don't want to be the 90s guy again, but it's it's hard to kind of, you know, we were really, really, really were in the doldrums. Even, you know, when John Barnes took over, to kind of lift the entire club up and really, you know, take us to a European Cup final. And just, just I, I just, I, I'm not sure there's anyone who could have done what he done, how he done it. And, and yeah. I, I think he's just magnificent. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's much easier to come into a club and, and build on success and an existing winning mentality. Um, yeah. You know, when you already have it, but to, to establish that and to change, you know, change that mentality over such a short space of, space of time, um, that's the real, you know, that was the real turning point in sort of Celtic's modern history, uh, I think. And it's, you know, paved the way for, for so much, so much success and, Arguably a harder task than you know winning winning a treble or whatever when you're coming off the back of you know seasons and seasons of winning trophies. Um, you know what he did was uh, be very hard for anyone to to surpass it. I think absolutely. Uh, just a couple of highlights that I've saw from from uh, he did a Twitter Q and A. Um, they asked him about one player he missed out on that he would have liked to have signed, and he said Rivaldo. And he said that <laughs> Rivaldo got. It didn't get as close as he wanted, but there was definite interest from the player to come to Celtic. Uh, Did you not offer him a trial? Well, that the story was always that he offered him a trial, um, and obviously Martin and he was going to spin it in a in a very different way. But the, the story I'd heard for years, and I'm sure you're the same. Like we offered him a trial, and Ronaldo just told him we fuck off, um, and and he went to Olympiacos, I think, after that. Um, yeah. The Janino one, someone asked him about Janino and he just said, I think everyone could see that Janino was not the dynamic player he once was for Middlesbrough, um, which, aye, fair play. But at the same time, he just never played him. I think he played him in that Rangers game and then he played him against Motherwell where he set up he had two assists. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, I always, I always felt that he could have done a little bit more maybe or given a bit more of an opportunity. Yeah, I he wasn't... He didn't have a he didn't have a clear role or a clear place that he could slot into in, in that team. Martin O'Neill's teams were were very functional, but there wasn't you know 
with the exception of, you know, Lubo in the first couple of seasons, there wasn't, you know, an abundance of like flair players who would pick up little pockets of, of space. And, you know, it wasn't really how that team team functioned, you know, they would almost overpower uh, opponents a lot of the time. You know, plenty of good technical player, players in there, but Janino was always an odd one. It was almost as if, you know, post Henrik, we were searching for for something something new that we could really all pin our hopes onto. Um, and I think the club was sort of scrambling around trying to find a replacement in sort of terms of the status of what he could bring to that to the club. Janino um, was just a, an odd one that never quite worked out, and there was never really a clear place for him uh, in that team. And and he quite possibly he might have been a wee bit past it. And then I struggle to remember exactly, but um, yeah, an odd one. Oh, the one uh, he mentioned just kind of finishing up. Finishing up. Um, he mentioned that a someone asked him about how quickly did you realise Lubo was a special player, and he basically said pretty much the first training session I realised how incredible he was. And if we'd had Lubo Maravchik when he was twenty seven, we may well have won the UEFA Cup, which I think is an interesting insight into maybe the one we thing that he thought we were lacking, maybe that little bit of. Gale, I guess, because we were a really hard working team. You, you put in the the kind of hours and the the kind of miles, but we always did kind of lack a little bit of, I don't know, a number ten. Yeah, I, I mean, Lubo was just a special player. You put him in any team, and you know, you improve your chances immediately of winning any game of football. Or, um, you he could play him anywhere. You know, he was so so two footed that you know. It was. It is maybe that that element of you know that's what the team that team could have needed to to go to the next level, and it would have been interesting. Certainly, post Seville, if um, he'd been back properly, um, and we'd actually built on that team to see how it would have you know evolved and continued to evolve. I know we went on to have a, a great season, but it was a lot of players coming towards the end of their careers on on big contracts, and there wasn't really we didn't get another cycle. Um, going until essentially Strachan came in. Um, you know, Janino certainly wasn't the the right you know the right fit. Um, but that sort of creative player, maybe it was. But I don't. Again, I struggle to see how Mark O'Neill exactly would have would have used them. Um, uh, you know, Lugo was you know different class, and you could play him pretty much anywhere. Um, but there wasn't. I struggled to see Martin O'Neill's team playing with a ten or whatever, or you know, a four-two-three-one. It didn't really wasn't really something he did, he did much. Um, but I, you know, it was an absolute joy to watch. And I, I guess the final kind of point on Martin O'Neill is uh, I don't know if you saw the. Um, it was unfortunately with Talksport. I saw it on. I didn't click any Talksport links or anything. Someone had posted it on uh, Twitter. It was him talking about Declan Rice and uh, Jack Grealish. Did you see that? No, I didn't actually. Um, so basically, it's really worth your time if if you, if you can find it. As I say, I don't want to give Talksport any sort of fucking credence or anything, but they basically ask him about Jack Grealish and Declan Rice and how he didn't basically trap them and play to play for Ireland. Like you know, you could have played them in a for ten minutes in a competitive game. And Martin O'Neill just kind of talks about the kind of his moral um, responsibility regarding you know the players' value and. Um, and you know, and their decision and stuff. It's just, it's really interesting because it's Jim White and um, your man from uh, Jordan just being like, "Well, shouldn't you have really, you know, made that decision to make them play a game?" And he's like, "I'm not going to make anyone play any, 
any game. Just he, he does it very well. He does it in a very lawyery way because obviously he trained to be a, a lawyer. So yeah, worth a wee look, kind of look out for that because I thought that was really good. Um, Celtic have got a friendly this weekend. Apparently we're playing Wren. Uh, there's no kind of news on whether it's going to be streamed or whether it's going to be available to us. Um, how would you use that friendly yourself, Callum? What would you be looking for? Um, boring answer, but it's minutes in the legs and getting a bit, of, a bit of sharpness back up. I don't think it's not a time for you know experimenting with anything um, too much. You know, players have had a break, been back in training now. You know, a week away from you know right back into the thick of it. Um, so I, I can't imagine it would even be you know too much rotation. You'd be hoping, I think, that most players that would be in your starting eleven get you know sixty seventy minutes, yeah, uh, and really get up to speed. Um, I don't really see the value in you know giving forty five minutes to one eleven and then you know completely changing uh, the squad. You want your sort of core of. 12, 13, 14 players that you're going to be calling upon in the in the coming weeks to, you know, really be up to speed and hit the ground running. Um, you know, obviously the World Cup boys will will be coming back, you know, fairly soon and they'll have been playing, so it's not too much of a a worry. Um, but the rest have had a you know a significant time a time off. So um and with the likes of Calvin McGregor coming back in and needing a little bit of time to to get back up to speed as well. Um you would hope that it's a pretty Strong starting lineup, um, and you know, not a raft of a raft of changes, but you know, treat it almost as if you would a league game or something like that. Um, see, with the uh, regard, you, you mentioned it there about the World Cup players. Obviously, Juranovic plays this afternoon for Croatia against Brazil, which is a, a huge game. Um, even if you know Croatia don't make it through past this game, you know, Juranovic will probably miss Petodri. More than likely, he'll miss Petodri. So, with this rain game, would you be looking to see? And again, it's it's unfair to look at someone like Alistair Johnson and say, "Right, we want you ready." But in a way, that's just the nature of it. You kind of would would you be looking to? Obviously, this game will probably be too soon. But would you be looking to have him like on the bench for like the game at Petodri? You think? I I think so. I think you know he. You know, he won't have lost a whole lot, a lot of fitness in you know the couple of weeks you know in between you know Canada's World Cup campaign finishing it and you know um, I was going to I was going to Petardry, so I think he'll be more than fit enough to to play if we need him. Um, I think you know Ralston's earned his earned his place there if Juranovic isn't back and he's been you know more than. More than stable, you know, domestically for us, you know, more than happy for him to to play. Um, but you do want to, it's just as a football fan, you want to see the new, new players as soon as possible and yeah. see what they can do and get excited about them. Um, so, yeah, I can't imagine he'll be thrown in immediately because we don't need to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do imagine, you know, I, I do reckon we'll see him um, a little bit between now and sort of start of January. Here, here's one kind of just off the kind of top of that, off the back of that. Sorry, um, would you be looking for Juranovic for the second of the January? Um, I'd be surprised if he's still still here. Um, you know, I know he's, he was linked with a couple of Spanish clubs today or, or yesterday. Um, I thought the Atletico Madrid link just doesn't seem to be going away. Yeah, which is you know an, an odd one, but yeah. Um, Fair play if it's if he can get that level of move, then you know, fantastic for him and fantastic for us because it you know continues to boost our profile as a 
place, you know, players can come and develop and then get a move to, you know, a top league. Um, you know, I'd be very concerned sending anybody into a derby when it, you know, it clearly looks like he's had his head turned and, you know, quite keen to go. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he's a better fullback and certainly better defensive cover uh, than Anthony Alston. Um, I think some of Juranovic's best games in a Celtic jersey have been against Rangers and it you know, quite often has really brought the best out in him. Um, but you, you don't want, you know, you don't want in that kind of game someone shirking tackles or, or anything like that because they have a, a move on the on the horizon. Um, so unless unless he's back in and he, he's fully committed and don't know signs another contract, then I can't I can't see him starting. Um, and you know it does concern me a little bit going there with, with Ralston because um, I think he struggled a few times with Ryan Kent and and his pace, yeah. um, which is strange because no one else seems to. But um, I, he's he's more than earned it. He's more than earned a spot, you know, with the, with how he's contributed this season. And you know, as much as you'd have a few concerns, uh, overall it's not it's not a disaster. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think you know going in with Ralston, a fully committed Ralston is probably better than having Juranovic if it's clear that he's leaving, uh, kind of going as well. Um, obviously, JJ plays against uh, Brazil today for Croatia. Uh, Netherlands, Argentina, are you looking forward to that? Messi? Aye. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's been... It feels bad saying it because, you know, the, it's, the World Cup's been mild in so much controversy and it you know, should never have been allowed to take place there. And you know, all, all, the, all the reasons we know about, but I have really enjoyed... Um, you know, watching watching these games and and certainly having that narrative of Messi's final final World Cup and whether they can do it because um, it certainly adds a, an added element of interest. Um, I would love to see you know Messi win the World Cup um, purely to see how distraught Ronaldo would be after. Um, but no, it's um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this weekend of football. There's there's some really good games and um, I I think. Uh, I would fancy Argentina to to go through, uh, and Brazil as well. I think they've looked absolutely phenomenal when I've seen. Yeah, final one, France England. Who is going to go through? I want to say France. Uh, I think I'm just not convinced. Deschamps. I'm just not convinced, man. Yeah, Didier Deschamps is like ah, the French Steve Clark. He, <laughs> they play absolutely brutal. for a team that's got so much, you know, brilliant attacking talent and whatever. They are absolutely brutal to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, Mbappe is a complete game changer, and you know, nine times out of ten, have them in your team, you'll probably win a game of football. But I don't look at them and think they've got a particularly sophisticated setup. They look defensively, you know, solid enough, but they don't play great football. Um, and that's fine if they bore England to tears and nick a one 0 win. That's more than fine by me. Um, but I don't look at them compared in comparison to Brazil when you see which look like a, a club team in the way that they press and the way they win the ball back and the way that they build build the play. Um, France it all looks a little bit stilted and an over reliance on uh, Mbappe. So I would love to see them win, but they don't fill me with massive confidence either. Yeah, I'm not. I don't even want to comment on it because I don't want to. You know, make you know. Let's just let's just hope we're all smiling on Sunday. Uh, 
this weekend on the Cynic, we've got two feature podcasts for you. The first one drops tomorrow at midday. Take me to your paradise, where Christopher Sermani spoke to Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai. Uh, we had a really great chat in person with Stuart. Um, it's available tomorrow from midday. And then on Sunday, we've got the Players' Lounge, the Christmas edition. Uh, Claire, Eddie, Bowd and Annabelle. Uh, lots and lots of fun. Uh, that's dropping on Sunday at midday as well. So check them out. We are going to finish, as we always do, on fact or fiction. I asked two questions and you say if they are fact or fiction and why. Okay, first one up, uh, Callum. Bernabai will challenge Taylor more competitively in the second half of this season. Fact or fiction? Um, I'm going to go with fact for that. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, when you know, he came in, we assumed that he would immediately be starting because Greg Taylor looked like, you know, an obvious part of the, the team that we could could upgrade on. And to be fair, Greg Taylor's had an absolutely fantastic season and made yeah. himself almost undroppable. Um, but there's plenty, you know, there's enough games and enough game time to go around. And Bernabé slowly but surely has looked, you know, a little bit more assured in his play. You know, he's, you know, he can be a really exciting player to watch, but... You know, initially when he came in, sometimes a little bit too exciting. Uh, almost that you know, you feared that he lacked that sort of positional reliability, and you know the boring parts that make up a, a fullback's game as well, but that are completely essential. In which Greg Taylor has you know absolutely nailed. Um, but I think you know those elements of his game that Greg Taylor will just simply never have. The way he can go by a player, the the speed at which you know you can bomb down the line, those aren't Greg Taylor's you know strengths or attributes that he really has. And um, so I, I think Bernabé gives you quite an interesting attacking option because of, you know our fullbacks are so crucial into how we build up play and how we build attacks and how we go forward. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested to to see more of Bernabé in the in the second half of the season, uh, and I hope we do because. Who doesn't like a hot-headed Argentinian left-back? That's what you want to see in a Celtic team. Absolutely. Could agree more. Love it. Uh, final question. Uh, there, will be, there will be one left-field starter at Pitodri. So whether that's someone coming out of the cold, whether that's a debutant, whether that's, um, I don't know, just maybe a, an unconditional player that you come that comes in that you're not expecting. Fact or fiction? Uh, probably go with fiction on that. I can't. There's not there's not an obvious you know candidate of someone that we could bring in that would be a little bit unexpected. Uh, I think the you know the Celtic team pretty much picks itself with with everyone fit. Johnson at right backs maybe the the only one that would be a little bit unexpected only because you know we've not seen any of them and he is just in the door. Um, and particularly for for our fullbacks, we know that you know can take a little bit of time to get used to that system. Um, but that's the that's the only one you could really point to. But I think it would be very very harsh on Anthony Ralston with you know particularly how he's played domestically. You know the amount of starts. You know it's quite surprising the amount of starts that he's had in domestic games in the past few months. Um, but you know he's always acquitted himself. You know fairly well. Um, it would be it would be fairly harsh um, if you if you were to immediately drop him. I think he's more than earned his, his spot at least for Petardry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, this has been fantastic, the weekend update. There's plenty of Celtic content on the Cynic coming up over the weekend. Uh, but Callum Gordon, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Lovely stuff. Uh, I'm Chris Gallagher, he's Callum Gordon. This has been the weekend update, and we'll speak to you down the road. 